Hello there, welcome to the Heavy Hole. My name is Tom. My name is Big Will, aka All By Myself. My name is Justin, and I have so many friends not here with me right now. Oh, oh I'm here with you in spirit, man. We're together uh, through the ears right now. <laughs> we experience each other just like the listeners do every week. Voices only. It's probably for the best that way, guys. I I, uh, I didn't use my Irish spring this week. Oh, no. <laughs> Dude, who needs it this week? Yeah, we're, uh, we're staying in the house here. Yeah. Uh, how, how was the weekends, though? What's going on? Oh, man. Uh, you know, there's so little to report, probably on everyone's end, since we're all quarantined during this recording time. Uh, oh, I, I did get something cool in the mail, though. Shout out to PJ from Necrotic Records for uh, a little care package I received. PJ Scoggins, yes. Yes, PJ Scoggins. He sent me some of his releases like uh, Withered Icon, War Ghoul, Dead Animated, a few more. Nice care package with some stickers, patches, a zine called I Hate My Life. Hmm. And something very cool was a custom hand-drawn Heavy Hole logo. Nice. Yeah, that's that's PJ's style. He's actually been like... Uh, volunteering artwork for your projects for you know for any whoever's projects he corresponds with since the 90s just out there for the lo- for the love of the game as they say in the death metal scene man uh, providing artwork man good guy uh, he, he did artwork for like a defunct tape label short-lived little tape label I did back in the 90s man good guy so thanks shout out to PJ man thanks for that yeah thanks for the package we will break it up when I see you guys in person again <laughs> break it down I need more fan art in my life. Yeah, hey, wait a minute. Draw what we sound like, you know? I would love this. Yeah, yeah, people should submit fan art if they have it. That's awesome, yeah. We we're gonna, we, we always do the, uh, you know, heavyholepodcast.com for all the contacts. We'll elaborate later. Justin, how you doing, though, man? Yeah, no complaints, really. Fucking getting my video games in, working on my riffs, as everybody should be doing out there, this time alone. I don't know if I've ever told you this, but I'm not much of a gamer. But I, uh, I definitely, uh, I wish you the best of luck. I understand that's popular nowadays with the kids. <laughs> Dude, kids love games, and I am one of yeah. them. <laughs> so that's about it. I uh, li- listened to a lot of breakdowns over the past couple of days. Yeah, you like those breakdowns. Uh, yeah, I've been listening to a lot of breakdowns today too. I've been doing my research. I got plenty of time. I'm fucking. I'm trying to. I'm trying to pause uh, for the listeners. Obviously, we've adapted our recording situation. We are. Uh, social distancing and recording via phone and and Zoom recorder. We're, we're transparent and and you know anyway anyway unless Tom edits this out. Um, <laughs> but uh, I got two two cups of coffee in me and I'm trying not to step over you guys and talk over you guys right now. That that is the biggest pullback from doing this remotely is that you just don't have the visual cues. Uh, there's a little bit of a delay, just that little bit, and it's. Oh man, I am such a great <laughs> editor is what I'm getting at. <laughs> Best in the business, man. Without Tom, I would I would literally be just alone in my house talking about death metal to my pet frog. <laughs> Same uh, which was what I was doing for about 10 years before I found you guys. Got you out, man. Got you out of the house. And now here I actually my frog is getting I'm doing I'm literally like talking in front of my frog right now. Shout out to my frog and Timo. Uh, the listeners <laughs> should know who he's named after by now. I'll uh, I'll, sh- I'll share some pictures on the social media. He's fat right now. I've been feeding him. Hold on a second. I, uh, shout to um, Fluker's medley treat for aquatic turtles. But you can feed your frog with it too. It's got a uh, an array of shrimp, mealy worms, the occasional cricket, freeze dried, 
He loves that shit. He's he's fat right now. Frog is literally 15 years old. Have I ever told you guys that? No. No, this is news. Yeah, this is, I believe it's an African clawed frog. It's just, it sounds fancy, but that's like your typical little frog that you find at the uh, the pet store or whatever with all the goldfish and everything. And sure. in 2005, uh, I got this guy and another frog and uh, a bunch of fish. And the other frog only lived six years. And here I am 15 years later with this damn frog and Timo. Um, and he don't he doesn't quit. Uh, it's 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 amazing. He he stays. He lingers. He's having it. Yeah he yeah he and I feed him uh, live insects from the uh, from the garden every every summer through spring. And I um you know I substitute it with that fluker. Shout out to flukers. But uh, you know guys, um, talking about fifteen years, a lot changes in fifteen years, right? Uh, I think we all can think back fifteen years and imagine where we were. I can remember some of the albums I was listening to 15 years ago, and I think we're going to talk about a few of them tonight. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm going to talk about shit that's like damn near 40 years old to start off. Because um, tonight, we're going to do our deep dive in the subgenre marine on metalcore. And we're not doing our deep dive in the subgenre marine on crossover, thrash, hardcore, punk-style music from the 80s, because I feel that deserves its own episode that we will do one day. But I, I say instead we focus on metalcore, which I think is its own kind of like identifiable movement after crossover. Absolutely. And I got to say, I did did some research over the week, picking at it, and I've come to the res- realization that I don't even know what a metalcore is at this point. Mm. That name is so willy-nilly tossed around, it doesn't mean anything to me anymore. But it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. I'm just confused. Yeah, uh, it's well, it's kind of become like you can't just say death metal anymore. You got to say like OSDM or uh, what's the new one is dissonant. I didn't even know that dissonant was a style of death metal until it crept up on me and I was in a dissonant band or something. You know, what I mean, um, there's all, you know, uh, uh, slam. There's all these different styles. I think metalcore has like a whole world and myriad of genres within it when you go back in the history of it. And. Um, not not to, not to act like it's uh, uh, doesn't have anything to do with crossover, uh, you know, punk and thrash type style stuff from the '80s. It kind of comes from that. And um, if I may, guys, I wanted to start kind of where I see the beginning uh, locally here in my in my hemisphere because I'm no genius, I'm no expert. I'm just giving you how I how I know it and how I've seen it. Lay it on us. Yeah, get it. All right, so. Um, Obviously, I'm more of a death metal grindcore guy. I think I've made that case very well on this podcast already. Almost every episode. Um, but, yeah, yeah. Uh, ex- except for the gamer episode where I've made the case that I'm not much of right. a gamer. Um, except for the 8-bit <laughs> classics. But, um, uh, hardcore and punk has always been adjacent to me. I've always loved a lot of bands. Uh, I've just been a lot more fickle and a lot more specific with what I listen to. Um, Coming from Long Island, let's talk crumb suckers real quick, okay? Um, the crumb suckers, classic Long Island band. When you talk about crossover, uh, like metal influence, hardcore punk, their classic uh, second LP from '88, "Beast on My Back," um, it really kind of like New York hardcore style with a, with an old school sound, but they infused it with a lot of metal on that record, almost to a progressive edge uh and then you have four years later um two members gary meskill who's the vocalist and bass player uh of crumb suckers and later uh propane 
and Dan Richardson from Crumb Suckers, the drummer, go on and they formed Propane uh, in 1991. Uh, and that's, that's I, I feel like, is a really good bridge to bring up between crossover punk thrash and metalcore. Uh, and not to say that they were the only band that did that. I think there was a lot of bands between the late 80s and early 90s who started taking that crossover like uh, element of, of punk hardcore aesthetic with a, a sonic metal sound and maybe making it a little bit more about the breakdowns and a little bit more about uh, uh, it's like sounding more tough than fast in the kind of way. And Propane was like uh, damn near hip-hop um, over metal beats with this and and the and the guys playing bass and basically rapping in a hardcore growl uh, at the same time. It, you know, it's 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 a lot of talent. He's kept the band going. Gary Mesco, we actually should try to reach out to him and get him on the podcast. He's still still going. Kept the band Propane going for uh, damn near thirty years now, which is impressive. And delivering his like still kind of the same brand of hip hop and and metal influenced uh, hardcore. I think that Crumb Suckers and then the transition into Propane, Gary Meskill deserves a lot of credit for that. And um, there's probably bands that people bring up. You also want to talk about Sheer Terror, the hardcore band. Uh, and then members of Sheer Terror, Alan Blake, Jason Martin, those two guys from Sheer Terror went on to be in a band called Dark Side NYC that started in 91. Uh, same year Propane started. Dark Side NYC... Kind of a, a metal-influenced hardcore band uh, that had a, a sound somewhat similar to a band I've talked about a lot on the podcast, Neglect. Uh, and Neglect, I, I could talk about Neglect all night. I talked about them a lot on our episode with Nick from The Communion, and we played some of their music. They're a Huntington band. Um, but you start seeing a lot of these bands that just bring a much darker, doomier, metal-infused edge to the New York hardcore sound. And I think that's kind of like the start of metalcore for me. And I think also, like, like that's where this kind of, like, Tom, you said, the metalcore gets, uh, like, gets confusing because those bands I just mentioned sound nothing like what some people might consider, consider metalcore in a modern sense, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the, the metalcore name is just... It's so vast. I think it's even vaster than like death metal, in a way. Because yes, death metal has mm. a million subgenres, but because there are so many, like cross, literally crossing over elements to make metalcore, it's like, man, everything goes. Yeah, it's the mix of metal and hardcore, right? That's that's pretty loose. Yeah, and like there, because there's different types of metal, and because there's different types of hardcore, and like I would throw grindcore in there too. Um, mm -hmm. Some some almost folky elements to some metalcore. Um, so just shit like that, you know, like bands that I would yeah. not consider metalcore bands are considered metalcore bands, and that's like I don't know, I don't have control over that shit. I don't really care that much, but <laughs> it's just funny seeing that label when I just like wholeheartedly disagree with it. Yeah, and yeah, it's it's, um, it's cool with uh, Will with what you're bringing up because this is like um, these are the sort of roots, right? This is it's like before things got a little bit more well defined as as time went on and more of the European style kind of came into the metal that was being infused with the hardcore rather than like that like U.S. thrash, which which is kind of where that crossover um, like. New York hardcore style metalcore comes in, the, in in regards to what you're talking about right now. Even just saying all those fucking cores and metals is just like hard to get out of your mouth. You know what I mean? It's like we said, we're, we're trying to break it down. And you're right, I'm trying to start at what I see to be the roots. Obviously, um, I'm a little bit regionally 
uh, influenced here. This is all New York stuff, but I think that speaks to like the hip hop influence because in the '90s you start seeing it becoming a lot less about speed with the, with the thrash and the crossover bands, and a lot more about the breakdown and the groove. And like I, I mentioned, propane. Uh, Neglect, Dark Side NYC, and let's talk about Biohazard. Let's throw them in there for really hip hop influenced uh, lyrics and vocals in a way, uh, and, uh, with that hardcore street level attitude, but with a, a, a like a very metal sound, especially in the guitar work in some of these bands. Uh, and and uh, you know, Neglect I've talked about a little bit on on the show. They they were from the Huntington area, from my area. They were kind of one of those bands, and I'm going to talk about another band or two that that's that I feel is like this, where it's the perfect mix of musicians at the right moment in time, and they really made something magical um, th- that can't be replicated or duplicated. And like the the sum, you know, the the, the sum is great. The what what do you call it? The the whole is greater than the sum of its parts, uh, kind of thing. You know. Um, the guitar, drums, bass, vocals, everything stood out. Everyone was, uh, everyone was hitting everything the right way, expressing their personality with every part of the song. It was, and it was just, it was a beautiful arrangement with neglect. Um, and and they're just such an amazing band. So uh, maybe we'll pause right here, so Tom, I could give you a neglect song to play out. Okay, yeah, so uh, so that was Neglect. Um, like I said, a, a local band that I kind of revere and a lot of people have a lot of respect for back in the day. Now, another band I mentioned, Dark Side NYC, uh, a, li- a little bit more um, uh, kind of doomy and kind of like like overt with the metal influences in a way. And I allegedly, I've, I've heard a story that at one point this band tried to recruit Brian uh, from Neglect as a singer. I don't know that if that to be true. I can't confirm that. Maybe we could talk to somebody. I'm sure we could talk to somebody that could confirm or deny that at some point uh, and get him on the show. But Dark Side NYC, a really great band. It has kind of like a scattered, uh, some lineup changes through the years. They had a reunion a few years ago. You could look up some videos. Really great band that kind of speaks to that same, similar style to Neglect. Like I said, I feel like they were a little bit more overt with the metal influence it's kind of like a doomy maybe old school celtic frost vibe on the new york hardcore which is hard to picture but check it out dark side nyc you know
And, um, you know, before I mentioned propane, um, you know, Gary Meskill of the Crumb Suckers and propane in my kind of intro to this Roots of Metalcore uh, conversation. I'm trying to start here. And propane, we talked about their The Truth Hurts album uh, way back on our gore uh, album art discussion. Our first time that we had Adam Rotella on. We talked about this propane album a little bit. Uh, but we didn't play any music from it or really get into it musically. And like I said, uh, this guy was basically rapping in the death metal, and not a, in a hardcore growl, uh, kind of a New York hardcore gruff voice rapping while playing bass. And he's he's the type of vocalist who's playing an instrument where you could tell he's a vocalist playing the bass. Uh, he's so rhythmic, he's so on point, and you either love it or you don't, man. But this is kind of, to me... Uh, the propane and biohazard are kind of like the, the culmination of like hip hop, hardcore, and metal all in one very New York regional package. So we'll let uh, propane ring out from their Foul Taste of Freedom uh, album in '92, their debut. So, um, and you know, there's, I'm again, I'm no expert uh, in this field of, of uh, you know, old school metal influence hardcore. I'm leaving out a lot of bands and all that. You know, you could let me know on the social media what I'm leaving out for the listeners. I'm just trying to give kind of like my my impression of what I was noticing uh, back in the day and what I've kind of studied. So once you get once you get through the early '90s into the mid '90s, uh, you start seeing some really interesting metal influence hardcore overtly like like the victory records movement of the late 90s where you had earth crisis strife uh and then later on hate breed buried alive uh, or let's talk about Snapcase. now i want to really briefly get into Snapcase specifically because i feel like all those other bands have been covered a lot but Snapcase. Uh, their later albums not my cup of tea so much but if you go back to 94 looking glass self uh, or later on their their album Seasons in the Size of Days. I think that's something that might be overlooked, and people looking for some really interesting guitar work, 
maybe even fans of uh, like Dead Guy or Human Remains or, or bands like that, or even fans of uh, Dissonant Metal, go back and check out Snapcase and give them another chance. There's some really interesting guitar work going on there that I feel like is metal-influenced, and Snapcase is one of those bands that I feel like doesn't get enough credit for the metalcore movement. Uh, re- really excellent band, Snapcase. Later on, like another band I'm going to talk about, they took a more melodic turn, which I don't judge them for, but it wasn't for me. So let's ring out with Snapcase from their 94 album, Looking Glass Self. Justin, I'm thinking of you with that snap case, bro. Yeah, actually, I've uh, uh, unfortunately I have not ever really dove deep into snap case. I've heard you know tracks here and there, um, having like similar sort of metalcore discussions with um, more hardcore kids uh, from from the area, and and like with Christian. Christian tells me about snap case a bunch, and uh, I really fucking up not getting the deep dive in. So I appreciate you bringing <laughs> it up. No, I'm I'm glad to hear that because I'm hoping I could be the one to turn you on and some other people on because I guess maybe it's my generation. I take it for granted that everybody knows these bands. Mm-hmm. And maybe people from all different generations, you kind of take it for granted that everybody knows the bands that were big when you were a teenager. You know, I don't know. Um, but that's what I'm trying to do here is turn you guys on to some stuff, man. And like I said, you know, you could get into uh, like Earth Crisis, Strife, Hate Breed. We've talked about Buried Alive on the podcast before. Uh, bands that were doing really metal-influenced uh, hardcore music in the hardcore atmosphere, uh, make, making something kind of like different, a different statement in the hardcore scene in, in the late 90s. And I feel like that all opened it up. Like, it was still kind of frowned upon for, for people to be listening to and playing death metal or black metal uh, in the hardcore scene, even into the late 90s. Although Grindcore was more accepted because of maybe your Converge, your Dillinger Escape Plan, your Pig Destroyer, but there was still, you know, people were still not celebrating Deicide or uh, Gore Guts or something like that. But all these Victory Records bands and some of the other bands I want to talk about coming up, I think that they opened up that that wave of, of metal where, you know, now into the 2000s, like we'll get into, people were like, Okay, death metal. Okay, black metal. Let's take some of this and and mix it in with the hardcore, like like Justin's always saying, you know. 
So I think this Victory Records movement in the late 90s is really important when you want to talk about metalcore, even though a lot of those bands, I guess, nowadays would be considered, like, hardcore, I guess. I don't know. Uh, one of the bands that, that you had mentioned on a, a previous episode of the podcast, or maybe we were just outside in between takes, was uh, and that that could also be in the same conversation, is uh, is Bloodlet from, from Florida. Ooh. Uh, you know, really, like, weird fucking... Uh, putting themselves on a li- out on a limb trying some experimental shit in, in that metal meets hardcore um, you know, box, if you will. Uh, absolutely. And, Justin, I don't mind if you take my segue like that. Just make sure you wipe it off with the Lysol wipes. we got to be careful nowadays <laughs> because uh, I have a bonus episode I've procured for the listeners where I talk specifically about Bloodlet and a few other bands that I feel are somewhat in the same spirit. Uh, kind of a psychedelic, sludgy, hardcore bonus episode from Uncle Buck coming up. So that's why I'm not going to pause to play Bloodlet right now. Uh, you can check that out when we drop it. And, and it, it might be out by the time you listen to this. It might not. Things are crazy nowadays, right? Things are. Very nice. All right, good. So, so uh, like I said, just park the segue out back when you're done with it, Justin. But I'm going to keep moving with the hardcore bands. You got um, it, but disinfected in that. All right, yeah. Thank you, sir. Uh, and feel free to take it to the grocery store, but I know they're out of some stuff. Um, now, we talked about the Victor Records, but like I said, I don't, I don't, you know, a lot of people know Earth Crisis, Strife, Hatebreed, all those bands. Um, Hatebreed, very important to talk about, too, because Hatebreed, I remember, in my perception, being one of the bands from the hardcore scene that really crossed over straight into death metal. Uh, when Hatebreed first started touring with Dying Fetus, that was unexpected uh and and kind of risky in certain ways um commercially uh when it happened because you were bringing people together and and to be quite honest i'm sure i'm not the only one that could tell you there was a lot of violence at those shows specifically between people that represented the metal community and people representing the hardcore community uh it was still a thing and it was still kind of a little bit trickling into that 80s mentality that separation between the scene that we've talked to people about but nowadays i feel like it's just kind of one big pool you don't see that so much anymore, you know? Yeah, I, I could see how that would be, like, a point of contention. I mean, I wasn't really... I'm not really old enough to remember, like, uh, extreme instances of shows being that divided um, or it being that outlandish to have a mix. But, uh, yeah, I, I remember seeing some of it, at least. Um, still, still, it doesn't really exist today. But, um, yeah, even 10 years ago, it was one of those things like, oh, shit, you know, uh, Dying Fetus is playing with, with Hatebreed or, you know, bands like that. It's uh, just the way it is now. Yeah, yeah, and I think Jamie Jost, we got also, uh, I mean, what, what I just said, but then factor in Jamie Josta's influence over the scene with Headbangers Ball. You know, he's... Jamie Josta has single-handedly done a lot to bring hardcore and metal into kind of one big melting pot of music in terms of people's attitudes, I think. Yeah, I, I think so. Because he seems like he's just a fan. So he's willing to talk yeah, about yeah, anything he, heavy, you know? Absolutely, you know. I just I just saw some new promo photo of, of uh, Hatebreed. I guess they're delaying their album because of, of the current events. But, um, yeah, uh, but yeah, he's rocking a... Um, a Black Dahlia murder 
uh, uh, hoodie, you know, and, and, you know, it makes me think of Trevor, like him and Trevor are kind of, I, I would be proud to have him and Trevor as like, I guess what I'm trying to say is I'm very proud of our, our, our diplomats in the extreme music scene sometimes, man. Those guys are good dudes, man. You know, they're, uh, you know, what I hope, hope, hope to get them on the podcast one day, you know, as I, as I wink at the camera. <laughs> but, See what uh, happens. But moving on anyway though man but just to touch on that victory records because also victory even victory records to when you say victory records to me i think of that stuff but victory records turned into like a treyu and things like that right which is like a like when someone says metal core to me now i go to a tray Ooh, oh that hurt my feelings to hear that i know well i'm not saying it's true but for some reason and i'm not even a metalcore guy no, no, I, and there's there's plenty of good metalcore bands, but for some reason the the, the name is Sully, like I said before, and uh, clearing it up. Here we See, are. Th- there was like a more marketable uh, version of that metalcore thing that that came out in the 2000s. That Victory Records kind of, at least like Tom, like I feel the same way as Tom. Like when I think Victory Records, I think of like a band like Between the Barrett and Me that I like, and, and a band like Atreyu that maybe not so much. <laughs> well, uh, luckily for the listeners, I'm not going to try to play you a sample of a Treyu right now. Um, but uh, I wouldn't let it I happen. do want to talk about. <laughs> yeah, it's not going to make it past Tom's editing board. Um, but what I do want to talk about quickly uh, is just a few bands. And again, I'm not the expert. We should actually talk to my homie. Shout out to Tom Anderer because uh, he's turned. He probably turned me on to these all these bands I'm about to bring up right now. I want to talk about a few bands that were kind of early in the game taking the hardcore and metal mix-up in really crazy directions. Let's talk first about God Forbid from New Jersey. Uh, you guys familiar? Yes. Yeah, formed in... Uh, good. <laughs> formed in 96. Um, Reject the Sickness was their uh, first album in 99. Uh, quickly snatched up by Century Media Records for their Determination full length in 2001, which is the one I'm very familiar with. Uh, when it came out, I, I own that album and I've listened to it since. Really amazing album uh, and uh, hard to even classify as metalcore sometimes. It's just a, a metal album. Am, am I wrong? Yeah, I would call that like a commercial metal album. But, but a really good one. A very listenable album with interesting songwriting. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I, I can't really... Yeah, I think it was the next album that I owned, and I, I actually had a shirt because it was cool. Uh, you know, I like their logo a lot. Um, <laughs> but besides that album, I, I'm even forgetting the name of that. I never really got super heavy into that. I think it was Gone Forever or, or Better Days, um, one of those records. Gone Forever, that was the one I think I yeah. that I, I, I like that record, too. Um, I'm just looking at some details of it right now. There's like... Like Jeff Loomis has a solo on one of the tracks over there, you know, so it's like really in that melodic death metal uh, area. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so, well, I got an idea. Why don't we play the listeners a clip from from that album uh, instead of Determination, so I hear something new to as for just just like everybody else. Sure.
Okay, another band that I can't let go right now, um, that I can't let slip out of this conversation. Come on, guys. Candiria from Queens, New York, 718. You know what I mean? 1992 yeah. they date back to. Uh, you got you guys rock Candiria? I've heard them before. No of, but never rocked, really. Uh, I hear a lot of good things. Just just for the list, uh, what's the guy? Ev- Evan uh, Evan Brewer, right? The Faceless Entheos. Yeah. Uh, he's moved on to other projects. Now, you guys are familiar with him, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, bass player. Yeah, yeah. Nice guy. I had a conversation with him once about Candiria, man, our affinity for that band. Um, really amazing band, Candiria. Really underrated, I feel like, too. They put out four amazing albums, uh, 1995 Surrealistic Madness. Uh, and then um, three subsequent albums after that through uh, 2001 that, uh, I mean, first of all, blend technical uh, metal, um, even death metal, especially towards the earlier albums, with hip-hop, Latin music. It's kind of like New York hardcore, but filtered through, like, fusion jazz and progressive death metal in, in a crazy way, if you can picture that. Um, Candiria is is worthy of so many listens with their albums. You'll always hear something new, uh, and when they perform live, they 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 ha- they're excellent at replicating their material and um, kind of like bringing new versions of their songs. A really underrated band, Candiria, uh, and and I would strongly recommend. After the uh, the the first four albums, there was kind of a, an infamous um, van accident on tour where luckily they all survived. But after that, they when they got back together, they took, uh, like I said with Snapcase, actually, a more melodic turn that wasn't my cup of tea. So I would definitely recommend those first four albums. I feel like those are progressive metal fusion masterpieces, Candiria's first four albums. Maybe we'll just go back to Surrealistic Madness from 1995 now, which I feel has the most death metal influence overtly. Crazy man, um, people need to get into that. And while we talk about uh, hip hop metal influenced uh, music fr- from from uh, the New York, New Jersey area, I gotta do it to you guys. E Town Concrete, baby, let's talk right now. <laughs> I, 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 are you guys on the train or? I'm, I missed the train a little bit, to be honest with you. I'm not. I saw them live once, and I wasn't really that sold. But I was also really into just like straight death metal at this point in my life so <laughs> when did you see them live uh, it was 2010 i think no 
No, no. As soon as you as soon as you didn't start with 1990, I I I, I blanked out a second. <laughs> I was somewhere else. All right, so I never saw them. I get so excited to hear people talk about E Town Concrete because their whole body just starts to bounce while they're talking about it. Yeah, and I, I like I enjoy that so much. I'm trying because I'm sitting on the edge of my bed in my my bedroom uh, uh, studio setup here, and I'm trying not to bounce right now. I don't want the neighbors to think weird weird things are going on. But <laughs> I am very excited to talk about E Town. Um, I'm a I'm a huge E Town Concrete fan, and I only go to the Second Coming. I stop after that, uh, which is their second album. I I don't go to uh, you know the other albums. Maybe occasionally I'll I'll tap into a song and try to get into it, but I, I'm not trying to tap the whole discography the second coming by e-town concrete is a flawless album from start to finish i love it uh i bought it from looney tunes records in babylon shout out to them when the album was brand new hot off the presses uh and i thought it was a masterpiece then still do now anthony apri's vocals alone on that album are a huge like death metal crossover i don't know if he would uh you know admit that or or, or if he or if he would say that there's a death metal influence maybe he got it from some other vocalist but um, whatever that guy was doing was like trumping a lot of other death metal singers, a lot of straight up death metal singers from that era. His vocals are parallel to none uh, on that album in terms of his like roar and his growling vocals. And another band where you just had this amazing rhythm section, the guitars, the writing, a fusion of hip hop and metal and hardcore. That and and and, and again, if, and la- like Latin music and. Uh, you know, these guys can play their instruments, man. And it's the type of thing where if you're not from the East Coast, I think it's harder for people to get into with the whole hip-hop element to it. Maybe nowadays, in today's climate, people will be a little more open-minded with the hip-hop influence and the New York, you know, influence of that. I don't know, the New, you know, New Jersey, I should say, influence of that. But uh, if you got to go back and talk about metalcore, we got to talk about E-Town Concrete. Uh, whether you like it or not, because they're kind of like the evolution of that Biohazard. Biohazard is kind of like the Big Daddy Kane hip-hop, you know, hardcore crossover, and E-Town Concrete was kind of like that late 90s, like my era, like Jay-Z, you know, Wu-Tang, you know, etc., kind of hip-hop, hardcore crossover, and you get it or you don't. But I would say if anyone wants to go back to metalcore and go back to bands that were blending metal influence with other styles, including hip-hop in the late 90s, you got to go to E-Town Concrete's The Second Coming. And if your first experience with E-Town Concrete was after, like, 1999, uh, just, like, do the memory swipe thing from Men in Black or whatever and go back to The Second Coming, which is, like, their uh, their masterpiece, their coup d'etat or whatever. So let's play a song from that. Do it.
Yeah, I, I get excited. But, you know, I, I got to tell you guys a little true story about E-Town right now. Um, when I when I first, uh, that song we just played, man, has a lot of special meaning to me. Um, uh, back back in the day, there was a friend of mine. I'm not going to shout him out. It's a, it's a, uh, you know, it's a weird story, man. Normally, I would shout somebody out. But I had a guy, uh, a guy, and a real good guy. Dropped he had, he had a tough time, family life or whatever. He dropped out, dropped out of school. Uh, was living by himself, 16, 17 years old. Allegedly, uh, you know, uh, doing illegal things to, to get by and make money. Guy, guy was really growing up uh, high speed. You know what I'm saying? Out, out in Lindenhurst, actually. And um, I knew him through the Wilson Tech uh, program uh, uh, in, in high school. And um, uh, I remember, like, he, he's the guy that actually totally got me into E-Town Concrete. And the, the song we just played uh, it just reminded me so much of a, a friend of mine who had, who had kind of a, a raw deal in life. And, and uh, you know, he's since uh, done very well for himself in, in terms of uh, turning things around and all that. But I remember that period in my friend's life and visiting and hanging out with him and seeing where he was at and him turning me on to E-Town. I actually bought the CD from Looney Tunes when I was with him. And that song just really always struck a chord with me about him and other guys I knew that kind of had uh, didn't have maybe the same grace as I had in life. And, uh, and and didn't have the same things to fall back on in life at an early age, you know. So that that would that and maybe that explains my connection to E Town is I think some people you gotta have maybe a connection to uh, to people who who are from the streets or who who have uh, had some of that harshness in their life that E Town talks about. Man, E Town talks about everything on the Second Coming, uh, from child molestation uh, and surviving as a victim to uh, 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 living your dreams uh, with confidence. To, uh, to the reality of crime and poverty. I mean, E-Town Concrete, people make fun of it all they want, but that, that, that singer has a lot of balls to talk how he does in his lyrics openly and honestly, man. That's, that's, and that's all I'll say, because, Justin, you, you, you set me up for that. You know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm going to talk about E-Town. I'm going to keep it real, you know? Hell yeah. I appreciate that story, man. Yeah, shout, shout to Rob Wharton, man. Um, Rob, Rob gets me on that E Town shit. So, so anyway, man, I can't. T- we'll, we'll do like a, I'll do an E Town bonus episode where I just talk E Town and get real excited on my coffee tip. I think we should do but, that. Absolutely. <laughs> well, we got plenty of time coming up, geez. But listen, uh, before I move out of the '90s. Uh, completely. There's one more band, uh, you know, to be respectful of your time. I know you guys have prepared something. I want to talk about Between the Buried and Me. You guys ever heard of them? Um, uh, maybe. Yes, Will. I've definitely <laughs> heard. I've heard of this band. I promise you. I'm happy you're <laughs> yeah. gonna. I'm happy you're bringing them up right now. Let me know what you gotta say. Yeah, I. And I feel like this is like me reclaiming the segue uh, and 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 spinning it around and handing it back to you in a few minutes um, because we're gonna we're, we're gonna like transition into the 2000s. But between the be buried to me, um, BT Bam, uh, Silent Circus album and Alaska are the two albums by them that I kind of zone in on. Uh, I feel like they're really amazing albums of progressive metal. Sometimes they get a little extra. You know what I mean? Sometimes they do a little too much. Those guys. I'm not. I'm not gonna lie. Sometimes they do a riff, or they do like the little hand clapping part, or something like that. And I say that you got too cute. That's just, you know that's obnoxious. Hey man, but it's the goal, they're, man. They're show offs in a way, right? I, I yeah, I'm inclined to agree with you. Yeah, they're a little bit show offy, but that's why I can't get into some of the later albums as much. But with the Silent Circus in Alaska. If you've been turned off by the name between the buried and me, by the correlation or uh, later material or something, yeah, I think people owe it to themselves to go back and check that out as progressive metal 
and death progressive death metal uh, influenced music. It's it's interesting stuff, and it's it's almost like barely even hardcore when you listen to it. It's almost ba- like it, it even kind of like abandons metalcore in a way. It's just straight up like prog, prog metal, I guess. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's like little elements, but the way they put things in so sparsely, it's like who's gonna throw this in a box? And like regards to in regards to the later stuff, I've heard it, and I'm not gonna say it's my cup of tea, but man, the fucking fans sometimes. They're like the Rick and Morty <laughs> of the metal community. Yeah, fucking right. It's very annoying. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's not them, but like you're at, you know, you're talking to a friend who who likes some metal stuff, and you try to relate, and immediately they go to, oh, dude, between the bear and me, love this album. I'm playing the shit out of it. Oh, dude, Mike 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 Portnoy, my best drummer, man, but between the bear and me, that was sick. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, well, I, I agree with you on those two albums. I'd even throw the uh, the self title in there as uh, as something that that production wise has that like early two thousands metalcore feel. Uh, but the songwriting is like it, it's written like um, it's it's almost like the, like a grind band would like write a song with parts or whatever. But they just happen to be like death metal inspired riffs with like thrown in some breakdowns. In with a little bit of like melody you know there's like that emo side between the barrier to me that kind of like would 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 let you peg them as a metalcore band i think i think that's kind of the kicker Hmm. yep the the emo the emo betrays them a lot of the time that's how you can tell that's you can always tell them by the soft side these uh these (laughs) metalcore bands come on (laughs) come on i'm joking but but um but yeah between the barrier to me man uh you know maybe you know, go back and check out some of their earlier material if the new stuff is a, is a little too eclectic for you. I would recommend Alaska. I think Alaska is a good bridge between the older sound and the, and the more newer material. Would you guys agree? Uh, absolutely. I think that Alaska is, they, they reeled it in a little bit on Alaska. It's a little more easy to digest as opposed to Silent Circus. Mm-hmm. And it was really with, with the next album that they kind of diverged into this, this dream theater-y uh, super prog kind of realm uh, I think Alaska is is the last record of like that uh, that still carried the roots of what that band was like forming yeah yeah I would I would agree man so let, let's let's take the listeners to Alaska for a minute get your jackets on guys ever heard of a band called seven angels seven plagues yes i 
I've heard of them, but I would be uh, lying if I said I was very familiar. Okay, fair enough. I, as I said, I'm glad because I hope maybe I can turn some people on to uh, a really amazing album, in my opinion. One of my all-time... This, and this is the thing. I'm not the metalcore guy, but I will admit there's a few metalcore albums that are like my all-time favorite albums. Um, like I talked about Neglect before, Seven Angels, Seven Plagues, uh, especially on their 2001 album, Jasmine's Lullaby, was the perfect combination of people the, uh, playing the perfect parts... Uh, ex- expressing themselves, uh, uh, it was it was just a magical combination, phenomenal album. They have their "Until the Day Breathes and the Shadows Flee" 2000 uh, debut, which was great. Um, but Jasmine's Lullaby in 2001, that album, they just hit it home, uh, nailed it. That was a band from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, Seven Angels, Seven Plagues, formed in '99. Members went on to play in Misery Signals, uh, Dead to Fall, Martyr A.D., and have been involved in a lot of other bands. Um, they're, uh, I guess you could say, uh, a very metal and even death metal informed, uh, metalcore band, but different in a lot of ways. They, they had that emo, emo side to them, even with a little bit of a subtle jazz influence. Uh, maybe that kind of what people call like post hardcore, like emo, uh, indie rock influence to them, but they did it in a way that was not contrived. It had so much soul and character and personality and inspiration. Uh, and, and, and I might add, too, uh, not, not really a lot of clean singing, not a whole lot of spoken word, just like a really brutal, low-end, death metal-style vocal. And that's probably the most death metal element, except for the intricacy in the songwriting. Seven Angels, Seven Plagues, to me, is like, uh, has the intricacy of metal, and that's what is missing in the songwriting in a lot of metalcore to me is the intricacy and the thought that goes behind uh, a really good metal song. W- would you guys agree with that? Um, it's a pretty wide brush there. Um, okay, because I've I know what you mean. Let's put it that way. I know what you mean. I, I think that I would have to hear the seven angels before i really like concur with you and agree on that point about them but yeah, in general yeah. yeah there is a bit more of a lackadaisical kind of like stick to the songs regular song structure idea behind most metalcore yeah i think like at 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 uh, at its worst um metalcore is repetitive and formulaic and the bands that really like stand out are those ones that are a little bit more technical, or you can you can easily tell based off, just by comparing it to other bands in the genre, um, the ones that that put a little more thought into it. If that makes sense, it's kind of like this in, inten- like intangible thing. You know, uh, you you have to hear it to to kind of know what you're talking. About. You know, I gotta say, uh, I, I think I think you guys are making me reconsider my position. Maybe I was uh, a little bit too uh, general with that statement. You know, the same thing could probably be said for grindcore, death metal, or any genre of music that they're the the majority, especially in this day and age of technology and social media, uh, there's a lot of bands that don't have as much thought that have just as much access nowadays. So maybe I need to reconsider that and explore metalcore more. Because my overall perception of metalcore 
is that is is kind of that you know like it's is there's this simplistic element and only a few bands are doing something but i see now that maybe that's uh, maybe I'm, I'm looking at it a little crooked i think I more know. more genres of music are guilty of that than just metalcore um so i wouldn't exactly call that a metalcore sin hmm. i would almost say right. ba- no, I, I would say bands that are really technical in some ways are guilty of that of that um especially in the playing end i would say vital remains is guilty of that because their songs mm. are technical, but they're using so so many repetitive parts and playing out stuff and and, and um, like over over playing riffs, which is something that could be attributed to the same mentality of songwriting. And that doesn't mean yeah, it's bad. Allegedly, allegedly, that doesn't mean it's bad. I'm not talking shit about Vital Remains. It's a good point, though. <laughs> Uh, one last thing about Seven Angels, Seven Plagues was like uh, the, the the way I was exposed to them, which is kind of how I was exposed to a lot of these metalcore bands, was uh, through the early Hellfest footage from 2001 to like 2004 when they really kind of put these compilations together. Uh, and I remember seeing that band set, and it was just fucking crazy, man. It definitely, it, like I've said, it was right place, right time, definitely. And I got very confused when I saw that they had something called Hellfest in France, which is, I believe, unrelated. Uh, yeah, I was actually just watching a YouTube video <laughs> earlier today, and it was the French Hellfest. I forgot who it was. Yeah. But uh, that was fun. Yeah. Coincidental. Now, yeah, but the Seven Angels, Seven Plagues, just to, just to wrap up this conversation, we got we got out there a little bit, but I'm glad we did with that. The, that uh, Jasmine's Lullaby, I just want to recommend that to our, any of our listeners as a piece of music. Uh, really just a beautiful piece of music, the entire album, that you could listen to from start to finish and appreciate. So maybe we'll play a song off of that right now. Uh, and and uh, that's Seven Angels, Seven Plays. Uh, one last point, and then I'm going to just kind of seg it over to you guys quickly. I just want to, there's something I can't leave out because this is a band I've never heard of until today, but in doing the research, uh, I want God, I want I want everybody, I want the listeners, and I want you guys to check out this uh, documentary on YouTube, Dawn of Deathcore, The Story of Antagony, uh, A-N-T-A-G-O-N-Y, is the name of the band from the Bay Area, uh, California Boys. Uh, formerly VFH, I'm sorry, formerly VFH, uh, a punk band. They evolved into the band Antagony. They were around from 99 till, to, I believe, around 2009 or 2010. Um, ben Orem from All Shall Perish and Oblivion. Uh, members of All Shall Perish kind of like uh, heavily featured in this documentary and some other bands you might know. They released a See Through the Eyes LP in 2001. Uh, and also members of Hacksaw to the Throat uh, are uh, apparently affiliated with this group. But you got to check out this Antagony because in 1999 and uh, and through uh, you know the early 2000s, they were combining straight up death metal 
with hardcore uh, in, in a way that I think was way ahead of their time. And obviously undercredited. I had never heard of him until today. Maybe it's a region, more of a regional thing or something. I don't know. Maybe you got to be more into the scene to know. But I missed the boat, and I caught up to speed with this Dawn of Deathcore, the story of Antagony documentary on YouTube today, which I highly recommend. Very well-edited, well-produced uh, documentary, man. Well, well worth a watch in these days when a lot of us are spending more time at home, unfortunately. So check that out, man. And uh, maybe, Tom, we could just close off my segment here with a bit of that antagonist. So that was a little bit of that antagony, man. Something new, uh, even to me. But, uh, you know, at that point, that kind of brings us to the early 2000s. Um, That brings us uh, to maybe an area where you guys want to reminisce a little bit. Yeah. I actually want to rewind a little bit. And we were talking a lot about how hardcore and metal made this metalcore thing over in the States. But one thing that we didn't talk about is... Uh, which is a huge influence on metalcore, is the Gothenburg melodic death metal scene. Um, yep. I'm glad you brought that up. Yep. Yeah, I, I, I was trying to, like, in, in my research, I, I was a little more into this kind of stuff than I was metalcore when I first was getting into this music 20-something years ago, or whatever it was, not 20 years ago, uh, 18, I, who knows how old I am. It doesn't matter. Um, so anyway, so following the wave of the HM2 Swedish death metal bands uh, like Entombed, Dismember, Grave, and Unleashed, other Swedish style of heavy music started showing up. Um, it was a much more melodic, melodic Gothenburg sound. Uh, it, it arrives with bands like At the Gates, In Flames, and Dark Tranquility. Mm-hmm. At the Gates is dope. Highly influential. Solid songwriting for the box that they've created for themselves. I'm sure our listeners are well aware of the impact that Slaughter of the Soul has had on the music that they listen to now. So I'm not going to really, I don't really uh, need to get into that. Yeah. Yeah. And Tom, if I could just interject to flex for one second, flex away. Um, I, uh, I have a confession to make a controversial statement. I don't listen to at the gates. Um, I never have. Uh, I, I've heard their music. I, I respect them as musicians, and if people listen to At The Gates, that's their choice that I respect. However, when it comes to the Swedish death metal thing, I'm, uh, I'm all about carnage, dismember, and t- I'm that guy. I'm the demo guy. So um, that's it. That being said, well, you uh, all know due respect to At The Gates. Yeah, but, but po- my point is, which you've proven, is like you know it, whether you're into it or not. 
you you get how influential yeah. it is. Yeah, yeah, ab- absolutely. I just I just had to f- to flex for Adam Rotella just now. I'm sorry. Go go ahead. I'm sorry. I I got okay. it. I'm I, the coffee. The coffee's doing its thing with me. Go ahead. I'm sorry. That's all right. We're, well, we're not going to talk much about Slaughter of the Soul. Uh, we're not going to talk about it at all. We're moving on. Uh, we're going to do a brief examination of the other two bands I mentioned, In Flames and Dark Tranquility. These bands were nearly interchangeable in the 90s. They were kind of like a Coke versus Pepsi of Swedish death metal. Uh, hell, the bands even swapped lead singers like neighborly cups of sugar around 1995, and no one seemed to notice. Uh, but they, uh, to be fair, they did develop their own sound over time. So uh, that, that wasn't a long-lived thing. I don't think that statement really holds up today. But back when they were starting, it makes sense. Uh, the reason I'm talking about this scene is because the uncanny riff jacking in metalcore bands from from these days. You know, it's uh, it's absolutely uncanny. Like if you were to look at guitar tabs for some of these riffs, you'd be like, "Is this is this Dark Tranquility or is it As I Lay Dying?" Or it just yeah. <laughs> uh, it it is delivered very differently. There's a sonic quality that is not really comparable. But as a guitar player, you really pick up uh, on those things. So, In Flames, 1996 second full-length, The Jester Race, is considered by a large portion of World of Warcraft players as a pinnacle achievement for melodic death metal. Uh, I'm not going to disagree wait, with wait, that. Wait, wait, what? <laughs> well, is that a fact? Well, no, I mean, kind of. <laughs> it's not, or, or, not a fact. Do we have to say allegedly? Uh, allegedly. Let's do it, just in case. <laughs> <laughs> I feel uh, like I feel like this is this is not a slight at all. What I am saying, uh, purely observational, that the melodic death metal fan base and the online multi multi MMO community is has a huge overlap, just absolutely huge. Um, so I'm just throwing it out there. I, I, I think that Venn diagram would, would definitely have a huge overlap, Tom. I'd have to agree. Yeah, and anthropologists I, I, are, are working on the problem right now. There'll, there'll be books out of, you know, soon. <laughs> I, I got to just write that shit in, into, the, into my notes, you know. I have a thought. I got to get it out there. But anyway, <laughs> so I never really got that into it. Actually... Oh, what's that, Will? I'm sorry. I just, I just wanted to make the obligatory George Fisher is in the middle of that Venn diagram yes. uh, joke. <laughs> I'm sorry. His Pro- neck the, is the, uh, the Venn diagram. It's, Dude, Folgers has got me open right now. Go ahead, Tom. I'm sorry. (laughs) So, um, this album, The Jester's Race, it's riddled with, like, these types of harmonized riffs and two-steppy drum beats that could be seen throughout metalcore. Like I said, I never really got into In Flames myself, but that doesn't mean they didn't have a huge impact on the music I do enjoy. So over in this corner is a guilty pleasure of mine, Dark Tranquility. 
Today, they're somewhat <laughs> of an Enya for metalheads with suspiciously tidy beards. <laughs> um, but through the late 90s, they wrote a few albums that I would absolutely classify as just being metalcore. This is not Gothenburg Swedish death metal. This is just like, I'll throw it in the pile with the rest. Especially their 1990 hmm. al- 1997 album, The Mind's Eye, and their 2002 album, Damage Done. You could just take, like, any metalcore singer and toss it on top. Uh, I forget the lead singer of Dark Tranquility's name, but he's got, like, a bit of that, like, um, black metal troll kind of approach. And that's the least metalcore thing about it. Everything else follows suit. Um, Interesting. Uh, I would love to hear Rick's, um, Rick uh, from Gray Skies and Buckshot's, um, opinion on this because he we did a whole episode with Rick where he talked about bands such as Dark Tranquility and uh, those kind of like atmospheric doomy death European bands of the 90s yeah there I wouldn't uh, this is definitely in Rick's wheelhouse but I wouldn't really throw them in with like the Opeths or um, hypocrisy kind of sound they had there was something else about them. They have an original sound, and some of it I like. I really like today. Some of it I'm, I just don't get it. But um, and I would even say up until 2007, they wrote really solid songs. I can't, I can't speak for entire, I can't speak for entire albums because some of them are hard to get through. But there are really good songs on said albums, like. Uh, recently, I had put on Dark Tr- Tranquility. I was just kind of going through on Spotify. And some of the songs, I was like, hell yeah, this track is fucking rad. Like, the new build. Great song. Starts off with, like, vicious blast beat. Really kind of catchy shit. And then there's other times where I put on one of their songs, and I'm like, uh, this is terrible. This is just, and it's the, on the same fucking album. You know, <laughs> like, so I, I give them a lot of credit for venturing off the way they did, experimenting with sound. Um, and I think they wrote good songs, but the, the the mark that they had on metalcore is there, for sure. Interesting, because I've never gotten into Dark Tribe. To be honest with you, i got to give them a shot, because I've never uh, listened to them. And do you want, what song would you recommend? I think you should listen to The New Build, and then from there, there's a song called Loss of Apathy. I think it's on the same album, where I think you, like it slowly introduces more of the like keyboardy kind of doom sounds but for our listeners i would check out uh the mind's eye and it's not i like e y e it's i like myself All right, 
So, moving on, I'd like to point out one obvious American metalcore act that really sank their teeth into the whole Gothenburg sound, which is Shadows Fall. There you go. Yeah, you can't you can't talk metalcore in any serious way without bringing up Shadows Fall. They were mm-hmm. you know, they started in 1995. They were all over the place with some lineup changes and, and kind of that, that had a lot to do with their sounds. They had the guy Phil Labont from All That Remains, another notable metalcore band. Um, and then they had this guy Brian Fair with these giant dreadlocks just doing this. Uh, I don't know. I, I think his voice is actually pretty interesting. He's got a bit of a. Um, like a, a dog barky kind of sound, but then he does these clean parts. His cleans never really did it for me, but I liked his screaming a lot. Um, so these guys are from Massachusetts, and let's see. They wrote these two albums that were really very heavily jocking the Gottenberg sound, uh, but by the time their third album came out in 2002, The Art of War, they kind of incorporated more crossover and thrash elements, which made their sound uh, I haven't really honestly kept up with them that much but the Art of War the 2002 album is it's a lot of fun there's some cool riffs in there um, as a fresh baby boy into metal stuff I did enjoy the shit out of this uh, I was re-listening to it again <laughs> this week overall it did hold up there were a few parts that kind of dragged ass that maybe you should have just been like Put it on the on the on the cutting room floor. Maybe maybe you played a, a riff too long, uh, but I think that the songwriting is pretty good. Wait, Tom, I'm sorry. I think it's the art of balance. The art of balance? Oh, yeah. did I do that wrong? Art of balance. It is the art of balance. The Thank album you. after is the the war within. Well, I'm an idiot. Uh, <laughs> sorry. Thank you. No, no. Thank you for correcting me. Yeah. The uh, so it's excuse I, me. I did, I think. I think that's actually a flex to not know that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I had to do a fair amount of research to kind of catch up on this shit because I wasn't. This was not a very long-lasting thing for me. I was into it, but uh, I had a Shadows yeah. Fall shirt. So what the fuck what? Yeah, I think uh, <laughs> no, I didn't have the shirt, but I bought this CD. I know I had the CD. I don't have it now, so doesn't matter yeah what the what the listeners don't know is that tom has actually grown dreadlocks in honor of shadows full since quarantining himself <laughs> yeah in honor of coronavirus i need more places oh, to hide boy. that shit oh boy right. uh but yeah let's let's play some shadows full for the people huh yep we're doing it
All right, I'm going to roll ahead a little bit. I don't, I, I don't have much more to talk about, but I, I would like to start this next part with a possibly unpopular opinion. Um, although I think our fans, or not fans, our listeners will agree with this one. So the band Cataclysm is a metalcore band. They keep calling themselves death metal. Mm. I don't think they are. That's that's it. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I Tom, I love it, but I believe the only the, the only thing missing is an asterisk to separate old cataclysm uh, and new cat because old cataclysm. The, 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 I've, I think I've explained this before on the podcast. I've probably talked to everybody I know. One time I woke my dad up at like 3 a.m. to talk to him about this because it bothered me so much. Um, <laughs> Sylvain, the original singer from Cataclysm, the, their first few albums with him, uh, after he leaves, the band is a totally different band. Uh, and, and you can't even call it really cat. It's, it's Cataclysm with an asterisk after that. And I, then, yes, I would agree with your statement. Okay, because I think um, I'm trying to find the first one. I'm looking on Metalum right now. and uh, I could help you elaborate on that. The first metalcore album by Cataclysm is Victims of This Fallen World. Oh, wow, yeah, that's that's way different imagery, that's for sure. It was a delight when it came out, and we were all hoping it was a new Cataclysm album similar to the, the old style, let me tell you. I am seeing now that the first one that I listened to, I didn't know the year on it, is Shadows and Dust 2002. And I probably didn't hear it in 2002, but uh, I remember hearing it, and it kind of sounds more like As I Lay Dying than it does, like, Cryptopsy or Deeds of Flesh or anything like that. Well, that's that's where you want the old Cataclysm, but I, but I digress. Go no, on. I actually appreciate that input because now I know I, I can go back to something. All I would say about Cataclysm is that uh, once you get to Victims of This Fallen World, that album starts a whole new era of Cataclysm that you can't even compare to the previous era two two separate bands and yeah they're kind of like like they're like death metal for people who think like like fast and furious is like a, a good movie or something <laughs> like like you could say it's a it's an action movie i guess and you could watch it yeah. and like you could say cataclysm is death metal and listen to it you know yeah so if you like cataclysm it's not that you shouldn't like cataclysm just call it for what it is. Yeah, it's it's. I don't know. Maybe that was a bad analogy. I just don't like either thing. <laughs> I don't know. God, Tom, this goddamn Juan Valdez and his coffee beans got me jacked up, bro. I'm crazy right now. Tom, go ahead. I'm sorry. All right, all good. So, last uh, metalcore band I want to mention is Chimera. Okay. Mm-hmm. I don't think this band gets talked about a lot in death metal circles or even like whatever metalcore circle I've been in. But they, they they have huge popularity, so it's not like they need it. But they're way more of like this mainstream thing that was like oozing out of uh, new metal. And in fact, they actually recovered from the new metal style so quickly that it's a, just a totally different band from their first release, first few releases to the album I'm going to talk about, which is their self-titled Chimera, which was 2005. Hmm. Um. Man, like it's it's a pretty good album. It, it still has a bit of this like new metal element to it. Uh, the production is absolutely killer. Sick guitar solos. Um, the lead singer Mark Hunter has a very particular voice. It's um it's almost if like Linkin Park dude was like better and like had a bit more influence. 
from hardcore instead of just like ah. Um, and there's like legit really cool breakdowns in there, like Pantera-esque breakdowns, domination style things. That's what I was reminded of. And of course, you got Kevin Talley on drums for this. So, it, it, really, yeah, it's wait a minute. Yeah, I'm not Kevin Talley on drums for for Chimera. Yes, Kevin Talley, same guy from Destroy the Opposition. Same dude who played with uh, Suffocation for a while and has been a fill-in with a million great bands. Uh, amazingly talented drummer. So you got to check this album out just for the drumming, if if not anything else, because he's he doesn't really hold back. There's not really any blast beats, but he's flying with his feet. I remember going to shows like metalcore shows when I was younger, or whatever, like hardcore shows and shit. You never saw anyone rocking Chimera shit. It just I, I don't know. I guess it wasn't cool. To it, it wasn't hip to be into Chimera. It wasn't like it was more like a. I guess it was just for more of like a Midwestern audience in a way, because we're in New York. Like everything has got to be clicky and and cool, you know. Uh, I don't I I don't remember ever hearing them, ever checking them out. Yeah, they're not that bad. Their first, like I said, the first few albums are pretty new metally, but they get over it, and they put out some <laughs> cool shit. And uh, they, they they they're not a band anymore. They called it quits, in, I believe 2014 or 2000. Yeah, they called it quits in 2014. They had a good run. Uh, one of their guitar players, Rob Arnold, the lead guitar player of Chimera, he played in Six Feet Under for a while. Uh, he, they he's got a band called Wretched Pain with. Adam Biggs from Rivers of Nile, um, Mike Heller from Malignancy. They're well ingratiated into underground death metal, but they just so happen to be like a uh, successful metalcore band. Kevin Talley on drums, too. I'm going to have to go back and, and get some of this Chimera because I, I missed that boat. Yeah, this album... Completely. Th- this one's definitely worth checking out. I don't, I'm not super familiar with them, but I did listen to this one when I was younger, and I liked it. You know, I I still did. Revisiting it, it totally stands up. The production is sick. And, um, you know, I gotta say, this album and a Monster Energy drink were great additions to my 1999 Jeep Wrangler. <laughs> <laughs> um, Love it. All joking aside, check it out. Chimera, self-titled Chimera from 2005. Justin, take this rock, please. All right, so I'm going to talk about metalcore, right? This is what we're doing. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're, we're still so, we're still doing that. So I'm going to take this thing off uh, from the year 2000, where you know nobody died from Y2K, and uh, technology got a little bit better, and we're all that. digital girls now, and it's fantastic. So, so 2000s metalcore uh, builds off a lot of the, the, the things that that both of you guys were talking about. You know the, that that Swedish style uh, melodic death metal kind of riffing, and uh, that you know the hardcore influence uh, that you had brought about, Will. And, and I I came across this um, 
this really good like synopsis of of, of how we could define metalcore uh, going forward for the rest of the episode, uh, where we mix the mu- the musicality and technicality of European melodic death metal, the power and aggression of hardcore, and the emotional honesty of early emo. Hmm. All right. So that's why you love it or or why you hate it, I guess, all wrapped up in the same thing. <laughs> so there's a bunch of noteworthy names uh, coming out of the 2000s metalcore scene that, that I'll just mention by name without going too, too into it at all, just because they're, they were there and, uh, and important for, for a lot of people. Uh, bands like 18 Visions, uh, Norma Jean, uh, Zao, or Zao, depending on, on where you come from. Uh, every time I die um, and the like, but I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about first this record that came out uh, in September of 2000 on Prosthetic Records, Lamb of God's New American Gospel. Uh, Lamb of God's band from Virginia. Um, I feel like that's the southern vibe played a lot into uh, their sound, a lot darker feeling than than I feel like a lot of metalcore at the time was going on. Lamb of God is like almost this uh, this mix between like vulgar. Pantera and early Meshuggah. Probably throw in a little bit of sludgy fucking crowbar-ish kind of feel to it. This album was was recorded and mixed in less than a week on a $5,000 budget. Uh, everything that the band says about this record now is just like, it was a complete fucking mess. Uh, they were drunk <laughs> the whole time. But, um, I, I mean, I absolutely love the result. Uh, from the opener, uh, the track Black Label, that we should play under this. Um, still one of the toughest songs I think to date. Uh, it's it it uh, it encompasses like like the attitude of Lamb of God, and I, I think even even through their discography um, uh, of this this tough, super metallic, um, you just want to like frown and nod your head the entire time, uh, and and breakdowns, man. But but. And I, I kind of wanted to bring this up as just like a, a conversation topic of breakdowns, you know, because there's many different styles of them, right? And, you know, one could be cheesy and one could be kind of, you know, acceptable and heavy and shit like that. One could be more death inf- death me- uh, metal influenced and one could be more sludgy and more, um, you know, more beat down, like hardcore kind of style. And it, it's weird that we have to like kind of think about it like that but little details and nuances in the breakdown like set apart these metalcore bands way more than than you would like to you know devote the time yeah to i i agree with that wholeheartedly so while you know bands like atreyu and stuff we were talking about before like will incorporate the uh you know um some some kind of flashy riffs and a breakdown it is not a fucking lamb of god riff and breakdown it's just completely different so uh yeah the, the darker shit's really cool um chris adler's drumming is is equally equally effortless and technical um he know he's got this like uncanny feel for 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 groove in the track you know like like many fucking amazing drummers do uh the production on this record is 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 kind of interesting kick just sounds like this fucking like beating a pillow with a rubber mallet and there's like few things i love more than young randall blythe uh, vocals, where he's, he's just fucking trying, you know? <laughs> it's, it's it's angry and aggressive and disgusting. Yeah, there was some... There was a squirrely quality to his voice that I really liked in like that, and it, it kind of 
It was. It's kind of present in as the palace is burned, and then it's totally yeah. gone by Ashes of the Wind. Yeah. Then he like developed this this real technique, I guess, to it. Like the I guess the quote unquote proper. He way sounds like a professional. It's not it. as fun. Yeah. Huh. And that album is super polished, completely opposite from this. And uh, I still think this album fucking holds up today. I think it's it's. I think it's Lamb of God's. I don't know. I'm not going to say best work. It's fucking a great album, though. Um, like I said, you know, there's there's some Southern Sludge influences that come across. Uh, like on the album closer, uh, the track O D H G A B F E, or Officer Dickhead got a black fucking eye. Um, really, really cool fucking sounds going on here. Um, and they take interesting chances, man. The riffs are like this Phrygian harmonic minor kind of styled thing going on. Uh, very creepy, very eerie. And uh, man, the, the band just sounds like a fucking machine. And it was a pleasure to go back and listen to this record. And if you haven't, check it out. forgot that this was an album for some reason i thought it was burn the priest and the right to as the palace is burned but i I don't know why i I do like this album too i never actually i don't think i've ever listened to uh, a lamb of god album this is a good one man it's a good one to fucking start with for sure and it's uh it's 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 just raw you know um yeah and i think like like knowing where lamb of god is now um you know at almost the top of of this metal thing uh, it's. I, I, I would think that you you would definitely appreciate like how just dirty this record sounds. Yeah, I gotta go back and check it out, man. It's um just interesting to see like like you said, kind of like in context and history, you know where they come from because they they've kind of like reached this peak now. Yeah, they're absolutely crushing it. And if you look at the like, I, as the palaces burn is probably their most like. If you can meet technical and aggressive um, throughout their careers at one point, like this is this is where it meets. Like the, the um, this one is like the one we're talking about. New New American is like the most aggressive, and then the one right after it is the coolest technical while not losing that aggression and still sounding like a not a death metal band, but like a a real fucking band. Cool. All right, so uh, you know, respectful of our time, um, I'm going to carry on. We're going to jump ahead. We're going to jump ahead two years uh, to May 21st, 2002, with the release of Kill Switch Engages, Alive or Just Breathing. 
I me- actually, I meant I meant to say this before, but I'll, I, I could drop this in right now. You know, I think like a a, a very big characteristic of, of 2000s metalcore is drop tuning on the guitar. Mm. And as we're as we're going uh, forward in in years, we're gonna also get lower in tuning. Per se. So Lamb of God new Lamb of God's new gospel uh, is drop D. You know, just drop that E to a D. Uh, alive or just breathing, uh, drop C. That's a whole step down for, for guitar boys out there. So Alive or Just Breathing, which is Kill Switch Engage's second record, um, it can be argued that that no album uh, played a bigger role in taking the Swedish style of melodic metal, uh, East Coast beatdown hardcore, and that emote type thing and mixing it um, to appease to a mainstream metal audience in the 2000s, other than this record. Um, For better or worse, this is the one for some some bullshit metalcore, like copycat saturation that came after. One thing that that I think led to that is the production. So this was produced by the guitar player of the band, Adam Adam Dershowitz, Adam D. I think his style of of production played a big part. In, in 2000s metalcore, um, just quickly, he he produced the first three Acacia Strain records, um, five All That Remains records, three Azalea Dying records, uh, From Autumn to Ashes, August Burns Red, Norma Jean, Parkway Drive, a couple of Shadows Fall, Under Oath, On Earth. He was kind of all over the place. He was like right at the epicenter of of that, especially Massachusetts um, metalcore sound, but that kind of went. Coast to coast. Wow, I had no idea that that guy had his hands in all of those bands. Yeah, yeah, he's um, he he. I I think he, like you said, the production thing. I think he's a big hand in why a lot of metal producers and artists are obsessed with like pushing the volume now, because he was the guy who took like this existing thing that was happening already and then just made it sound so much more digestible yeah it, it's an extremely polished uh sound you know it's it's uh you know all the those guitar chugs are, are cut there's no feedback um it's that really triggered drum sound that really fat giant snare like consistent snare kind of thing um just yeah very very polished and and perfect for for like your radio play you know so the thing with Killswitch uh, is 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 the it's still something still I love, man. I'll fucking have this on in the car and I'll I'll sing to it, man. I don't care. Like the 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 anthemic quality uh, to Killswitch uh, songs, uh, they're almost I, I I don't I don't know if, if anybody else does this, but I love taking like um, this quote unquote like new wave of American heavy metal that ha- like started with like Lamb of God and Shadows Fall and God forbid. Uh, in the 2000s. Um, it was just some fucking writer coined this term and comparing it to like your your 80s uh, hair metal uh, sort of scene. <laughs> um, you know, and I, I see like Killswitch as, as somewhere in between like your poison and, and rat of, of, um, <laughs> of, of metal. Because, wow. you know, the, the tracks, tracks on, on this record like Fixation of the Darkness my Last Serenade, Life to Lifeless, The Element of One, all ha- all drop out and have these huge fucking sing-along choruses where, like, you know, maybe they were never uh, uh, big enough to, like, play a stadium, 
but you know this is your uh, maybe at least like 2000 cap theater uh, anthem quality type thing you know where the house lights go on yeah I mean they're they're designed for that mid-size venue to, to sell them the fuck out you know like the Irving Plaza's yep. The, the Paramount and Huntington, like that, like bands like that just get so the fuck over because it's, um, it's still personable. And like you're saying with this band, you have this chorus anthemic quality. Uh, it's, yeah, they're designed for that. Yeah. And, and, and the lyrical structure is, is, you know, that what I kind of, um, outlined before with that emotional honesty, right? Cause it's all about like personal struggle or a relationship or, or, you know, your place in, in society or in the world and stuff like that. And that sort of thing laid out uh, with a heavy fucking riff behind it and just, like, clean vocals, you know, kind of wrapped around a two-step and a breakdown. Um, man, I, like, kids just eat it up. Like, it's, it's just, it's delicious hors d'oeuvres for everybody. <laughs> also, this record, Alive or Just Breathing, was, was the last one from time with original vocalist Jesse Leach, who... Um, never got to uh, tour on this record. He, he left the band pretty much after it was released. Um, personal reasons. I think he was uh, dealing with some sub- substance abuse and, and depression or whatever. And um, they had picked up ex uh, Blood Has Been Shed vocalist Howard Jones to uh, to carry on from this record. I'd say the next eleven years. I think he was in the band. But um, the legacy of Killswitch, man, it's it's still it's still there. Like. You, you know, you know, Tom. You you mentioned like the the Gottenberg style and and, and at the gates and and dark uh, dark tranquility and stuff like that. And man, these like the riffs are. This is one of those like spitting images. Like if you looked at the tabs, like this would be like a almost a little bit slower of an at the gates kind of guitar style. And then probably and then mixed in with like um, you know maybe like a sick of it all kind of hardcore type thing that they were doing, uh, but. But yeah, somehow Killswitch Engage like like discovered the formula uh, to take metalcore uh, mainstream. So let's play uh, let's play Fixation on the Darkness. Do you have any experience with this band or uh... not really i mean i've heard them like i've, I've seen stuff on tv but i yeah. you know I, i've never really listened to them it was never really my thing so much you know no i mean i wouldn't i couldn't imagine this would be your thing like you know <laughs> yeah, working sure. with you but <laughs> the these yeah these guys in lamb of god are like i mean to me it would be like listening to like the new ozzy album 
or something. It's just like very commercial metal. It doesn't have a lot to do with what I look for. Right, right. That's that's. I think that's totally fair. And uh, you know, it's a. Uh, it's interesting to trace these webs that are created between these people because actually Adam D from from Killswitch he uh, oh, good point. he did a project I think it was like three years ago he did a project called Serpentine Dominion uh, he yeah. got the old drummer of Black Dahlia Murder to play drums on this and uh, Corpse Grinder to do vocals wow and it's um, interesting it's not like it's not great. It sounds good. The, the 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 sound quality is good. The songwriting is like it's nothing to go back to. But it's a kind of like cool listen because you get to hear like the guy who's behind the kill switch, like composing all this shit, and he does some clean vocal parts. But then you have a fucking corpse grinder on top of it, giving it all uh, the balls. Sounds like a fun project. You brought up like Shannon Lucas, right? Uh, Black Dahlia Murder. Mm-hmm. Uh, is the Black Dahlia Murder a metalcore band? Ooh. Uh, Ooh, controversial. Yeah, right. Yeah, I mean, I would controversial. Based on how how wide I've seen the metalcore label spill over, sure, but no. Yeah. You yeah. know, like if you if you examine them as a band, no, absolutely not. But metalcore, I feel like, is just this fan made word for. Oh, I like this kind of more easy to take in heavy music in general and Black Dahlia even though they have vicious fucking riffs and shit they're easy to follow because they're most of their bass notes are on quarter notes so they don't really uh, it's not a hard listen Black Dahlia even though it is really hard and it is death metal absolutely mm-hmm. but uh it's, yeah, it's interesting like, it would almost have to be like an album by album conversation but even still like when you go back to Unhallowed like the first one like it's not, it's not comparable to any of these bands that we're really talking about other than maybe the Swedish influence alright oh, here, here's how I would put it if you asked like alright is Black Dahlia metalcore no but if I was on the Black Dahlia street team and I had to sell tickets back in 2004 to their show I'd be like hey guys you like metalcore and I think I'd get away with it you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> you know what's interesting? I never even thought about this until you said it, but you're absolutely right, because when they first came out, they were a little bit more adjacent to the metalcore scene. And they have completely, like, rebranded as a, a total honest-to-God death metal band in my eyes now, which is something that is not easily or commonly done. No, I think they actually did something smart, or maybe it was a timing, right place, right time thing, but them playing a lot of shows with metalcore bands, and that scene kind of popping off when they were, when they first came out with Unhollowed, and then Miasma, like, that was popular, so they were, it was easy enough to tack them on with metalcore bands, but they were never, they weren't really, because if you go on real, like, go back to Unhollowed, their first album, it's, it's a death metal album. Yeah, I would have to say my gut instinct says that to call Black Dahlia Murder a metalcore band is like a kind of condescending, insulting uh, label. Like it's something that an elitist metalhead would say to imply that they're not metal, you know? So I don't think they're a metalcore band, no. They're they're definitely a death metal band 
And you could have a debate as to what type of death metal band they might be, but I wouldn't refer to them as metalcore, even though they might have roots in that scene, which is interesting. Yeah. Well said. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm on that team for sure. Yeah, I think we're all there. It's almost as if Black Dahlia Murder was ahead of their time with this new wave of death metal bands coming out now that is pretty much farmed from uh, musicians that grew up in the hardcore scene. Right. All the OSDM shit, where a lot of, you know, mm-hmm. that's, when that's I say I mean. shit, yeah. You know, it's not all shit or anything, but there's a lot of hardcore dudes doing it, and I like it. I like a lot of it, so whatever. We've talked about it a bunch yeah. on the show, so. Yeah, we've uh, we've discussed that already, but yeah, that, that's that's an interesting conversation about the Black Dahlia murder. Okay, so, yeah, so the, the last album I want to touch on is, um, we're, we're hopping ahead, again, uh, two years ahead, June 29th, 2004. Metal Blade Records releases The Oncoming Storm, uh, the second studio record by the band Unearth from Massachusetts. Yes, very important band to this conversation. So, you know, you hear us mention in Massachusetts a lot, and, uh, you know, it turns out, like, the, like the, the Northeast, man, New England, just this hotbed for, uh, for this metalcore thing that was going on. Yeah, when we talked to Ron Miles of Scattered Remnants, who are from Massachusetts, he uh, talked about Unearth and how um, uh, that 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 was just a huge thing in in his local area. That scene. Yeah. So um, this one was produced by Adam D of Killswitch. It has that really super slick, polished production. Um, I think this is the album that really solidified the Unearth sound and what kind of sets them apart in retrospect from a lot of their contemporaries. What was even to this day. Um, on Earth, kind of still sounds the same, you know. They never, they never went for a, a more like clean, singing, marketable kind of sound. Um, they always kind of kept it, you know, fast, like fast riffing, huge fucking breakdowns, and, and kind of stayed true to, to even what they were doing on the demos, which is, uh, which is kind of fucking interesting. I, I think it's funny that you mentioned, um, well, not funny, but rather um, just you mentioning how On Earth writes songs. Um, yeah, and kind of to tie back what we were talking about a little bit before about like um, Will, you had brought up like attention to detail in the songwriting. Yep, that's that idea is something that like Unearth has mastered putting together standard song structures, but the riffs are not mm-hmm. the least bit lazy. Like looking at. Every riff, there there is so much attention to detail with every little, even if it sounds like more thrashy or if it's a little more typical metalcore band, they're doing things that other bands wouldn't think to do. Bands that rely too much on the fact that they have drop tuning and they can do all the pull-offs and uh, hammer-ons and shit. Like, they were really on top of that. So it's, gr- like, really sick guitar work um, without being flashy. Yeah, uh, and that's exactly kind of what I was going to say uh, about the next part. I'm man. sorry. So, so, you know, as, as no, it's great. Um, so as we're getting down in tuning, uh, this isn't necessarily down in tuning, but they play seven strings, right? So you got that low B and their shit is fucking heavy. It just sounds great. And maybe like on earth is a little bit ahead of its time and using the extra string, as you can see how prevalent it is now or in like death core and like gent, if you will, uh, adding the, the extra dynamic really uh, just to piggyback on what Tom was saying, the, the way this band rips, uh, Ken Sushi, the guitar player, and Buzz McGrath, I believe the other one, uh, the way they fucking riff is, is 
hands down like one of the most unique in metal any band uh still it just it just kind of holds up man their their shit bounces a, a unique way it's one of the main reasons why i i, I was drawn to this band uh, i remember getting this record when it came out and it kind of just it it was one of those like uh changing your life kind of records uh, i feel like yeah because um, it, it it drew me in with like the the, I'm going to say quote-unquote teamwork style of guitar that you would see in 80s thrash and British heavy metal, like, you know, that Iron Maiden kind of dueling harmony uh, stuff. Uh, but so heavy and so unique with, with the riffs and, and, and breakdowns, you know what I mean? I think Unearth as a break, if you, if you compare breakdowns and bands, which is so fucking funny to say, um, <laughs> Unearth has, like, this this unique bop to it, man, that is, it just is, is unreal. And... One of the songs on this record, the song "Black Hearts Not Rain," um, is is uh, it's it's special. I don't, it's not special to me. I wasn't there. Listen, but I can relate because the music video was shot at the downtown, and ha- and and for a Massachusetts band to shoot like uh, a video for a single off of their record at the downtown, I think says a lot about Long Island music and stuff like that. And I kind of respect it. But that is such a a perfect metalcore song that reminds me of growing up around here good band yeah i uh I, I i caught them live at like a vfw hall once in the early 2000s before they really got very big it was when they had their album i think it's called stings of conscious yes yeah that i i own i own that album i had it on cd somewhere a really good band really good album um really like you said really interesting songwriting keeps your attention you know it's it's not like like kind of like dumbed down uh, music at all it's it's a really good band i haven't kept up so much with what they've done i know they've uh achieved a, a lot of uh support and popularity in the scene since then but um re- really interesting band it was cool to kind of have seen them i guess while you could say while they were like uh you know on the come up yeah for sure man uh, that was a, a super influential record you know made a name for themselves and, and metal blade took notice and, and, and put them out uh but yeah that's 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 pretty much like my contribution to, to, to metalcore right now. The, the three bands that I think are on the Mount Rushmore of 2000s metalcore. Um, huh. Pillars, if you will. Um, for better or worse, love them or hate them, I think there are qualities uh, to take away from, from each one of these bands that are, that are unique. And um, yeah, maybe try and listen to it with a, an open mind next time you're bored or... Actually, actually, I think you guys did a great job of bringing up all the stuff that I didn't really talk about that was like very relevant to the conversation. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, we've kind of been saying this off record, but like, I I don't really have that much attachment to this metalcore thing, but I like I grew up with it. Yeah, it just seemed to be like that. This name was attached to all the bands that I liked when I was uh, growing up. <laughs> yeah, and some of the bands that are called metal uh, metalcore, I don't get. Like Ed Gain was called metalcore. It's like, what the fuck is metalcore about that? But that's like a straight up grind band. That's a technical grind band, you know. Um, pretty clear cut. I think bands like Ed Gein and Dillinger Escape Plan would be almost part of a whole different conversation of like, like hardcore and metalcore adjacent grind bands. Yeah, like uh, Converge too. Like Converge got that huge pop from that metalcore wave, and I don't really like hear them as a metalcore band. Like I get that the um, there's an emotional distress there that's similar, but just the writing is. It's just a different animal. It's interesting to see, you know, we're talking about, like, pretty much pivoting on, on on the year 2000 right now, but, like, the shit that is pivoting on 2020 is kind of like Code Orange, you know what I mean, as a fucking metalcore band. Or bands like Knocked Loose or Fuming Mouth that are doing this this fourth or fifth generation beatdown hardcore, but taking in, like, like obituary, you know, or, or taking take in some, some more of your heavier slam uh, as influences. Yeah, I, and like where that sort of metalcore thing evolves. That's a good comparison. Yeah, I think that's an excellent point in this day and age where this metal hardcore th- ball has been like beaten back and forth between the two uh, genres so much that it's hard to keep tra- track of. All right, uh, let's wrap this episode up. All right, well, um, I definitely appreciate this conversation, guys. It helps sort things out for me and kind of cast a new light on things. I think you guys did a great job of bringing up some bands that uh, I kind of left out that maybe I never listened to so much and not my cup of tea, and I think we, we were able to kind of, like, sort out the roots of where this stuff comes from up until the 2000s, so I appreciate that. Hell yeah, man. Likewise, I have some uh, Candiria homework to do. Yeah, highly recommended, man. I mean, I recommend all that stuff I talked about. I love it. I'd love to share it with you guys. That's what we do here. And in that sense, we've kind of been recommending music this whole episode so I think we're going to skip the al- the album recommendations for this week, right? We've already recommended enough. Yeah, you got a lot of listening to do. And I know a lot of our fans aren't... Uh, a lot of our fans... I'm, I know a lot of our listeners aren't big on metalcore. And I totally understand that because I'm not big on metalcore. But there is cool stuff that is under this this mask. So I do ch- recommend checking it out. You might not... Like, don't, <laughs> don't stick to a whole album if you don't mm-hmm. like it. It's just, like, you don't owe us anything. But... You owe yourself to at least know what the hell we're talking about. Yeah. Or, like, you know, Rage Against the Machine said, you gotta fucking know your enemy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I, you know, I I appreciate it. And hopefully me and Justin can put this whole beef to rest now. (laughs) Oh, dude, our our beef has been seared and cooked medium rare, and now I'm all filled with beef. Meat and not really angry at all and uh <laughs> satisfied and this this beef will pass and uh and yeah and now i have, I have nothing but love i'm i'm, <laughs> I'm here uh, i am as open as the folgers has made you tonight <laughs> whoa that that you're still doing tricks on my segue slow down that's crazy <laughs> I, i'm i'm glad you finished your bathroom so you could pass that beef oh thanks buddy <laughs> but uh Tom, if the listeners want to pass us a message, they could always go to heavyholepodcast.com. That's right, heavyholepodcast.com. 
and uh, one of us will get to it. You know, we'll get back to you. Yeah, yeah. The e- the email heavyholepodcast uh, at gmail dot com and all that social media stuff. You can order sticker packets with that allegedly ten uh, percent off code on on the website now. Still, is that still up, Justin? There's no there's no alleged code. <laughs> code is allegedly. Yeah, guilty as charged. We're gonna save you a couple of bucks. So thank thank you guys. I appreciate the conversation. Like I said, I appreciated that you guys brought something to the table that I wasn't familiar with. I hope I did the same for you. And um, like I said, hopefully we can do that crossover thrash episode in the future too for the listeners. Yeah, I look forward to it. Hell yeah, man! All right, everyone, thanks for listening. Thanks a lot, guys. I'm gonna hang up. Uh, I gotta go uh, de- desanitize this Zoom recorder. <laughs> Sanitize it, man. Stay safe and remember your favorite number. One. <laughs>